0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? All right. How are we doing this evening? Good. Some of us are good. Some of us. That's okay. Um, that's all right. My name is Josh. I'm one of the lead pastors here at the district church, and it is a joy and an honor to open up God's word, worship with you guys this evening um, and to really celebrate Good Friday. Um, I want to thank you for coming on a Friday to be able to celebrate what Christ has done for us on the cross. Um, but what's interesting about Good Friday, uh, and oftentimes when we get to this part of the, the Holy Week, I often ask, what is good about Good Friday? I don't know if you're like me and you've had that question before, why do we call Good Friday good, right? Because what we're celebrating is death. We're celebrating a Savior who is holy, righteous, perfect, spotless, and yet he died and he suffered on our behalf, sinners like you and me. So why do we call Good Friday good? Because if anyone did not deserve to die for the crimes that he did not commit, it would be Jesus. Yet as we'll read here in John's testimony of the crucifixion of Jesus, he did die. And as Hebrews tells us, he died willingly and with joy set before him, he endured shame and the cross. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 12. It is therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So on this Good Friday, I want to answer that question. Why do we call it good? Why would we consider a death of a perfect Savior good? Well, before I answer that question, I want to walk through how the Bible describes or shows our nature to be. The Bible shows us that our condition, our mankind's condition, our state before a holy and righteous God is one of guilt and condemnation because of sin, Because of sin in the garden with Adam, as well as our choice and willingness to sin because of the nature that we have. Romans 3.23 tells us that for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this sin makes us fall short of God's glory. But this sin also leads us to be hostile in mind. And in a way we cannot please God in the things that we do. that holds so tightly to us that we are slaves to, also separates us from a relationship with God the Father. And it leads to death. Not just death in bodily form, but death that separates us from God eternally. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of this sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here we have our sinful nature before a holy and righteous God, guilty, enemies, hostile in mind, living in a way that we cannot please God no matter how many good things we do, no matter how righteous we try to live, we cannot please God. Scripture also shows us that because of this sin, we are spiritually dead and relationally separated from God. And if our most serious need is to be reconciled to this holy and perfect and righteous God, a God who now stands against us and announces death upon us because of our sin and because of our nature before him, then what we need most is to be reconciled to him. And in order for that to happen, we need something outside of ourselves to stand in our place, to take wrath of God upon himself in order that we can then receive his perfect spotless righteousness. So here is a part of why Good Friday is so good, because what Good Friday does for us is it reveals our foundational problem. It reveals our sinful nature before a holy and righteous God. And for us, we cannot make sense of what the Bible shows our solution is until we make sense of what the Bible says our problem is. And that is the sinful nature that separates us. So the solution that we sing about, that we worship, that we praise God for comes in a perfect, spotless sacrifice that takes our place and gives us His righteousness. As we read in 2 Corinthians 521 to start this gathering. He stands in our place, and we receive His righteousness. So if you have your Bibles, I want to open to this crucifixion account. John 19 is where we will be reading from this evening. And as we read this account, I want you guys to, again, as I shared this past Sunday with the triumphal entry, I I want you guys to see the people that are involved, the emotions that are happening. Sometimes we can remove ourselves from stories like this, narratives like this, because we're not in Scripture. But these are real people longing for a coming Messiah and yet not able to see who's right in front of them. So John 19, starting in verse 1, we're just going to go through the entire chapter. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not a you are not." Caesar's friend everyone makes everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar so when Pilate heard these things he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha now it was the day of preparation of the Passover it was about the sixth hour he said to the Jews behold your king they cried out away with him away with him crucify him Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for to to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scriptures, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. After things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, And this is the crucifixion story of our Savior. Two things I want us to see from this crucifixion that answer the question, why is Good Friday good? Why do we call this crucifixion, this murder, this killing of our perfect spotless Savior, why is it good? Well, first I want us to see the framework in which this Passover week is happening. If you were here this past Sunday, we talked about Jesus coming in on the triumphal entry, making the announcement that he is king and he is coming for his kingdom by way of the cross. We see in God's providential plan that Jesus is entering into this holy city, not by accident, but by a plan to show that he is the fulfillment of the Lamb of God that we see in the Old Testament. He is the true Passover Lamb who has come to His holy city to make atonement for sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And our Savior would have those who are witnessing this crucifixion, those who saw His triumphal entry, as well as us as we read the Gospel accounts, He would have us know that this is the most important event in history. This is what Jesus set his face to do as we see in Luke. And apart from it and without it, everything else is meaningless. But this framework of Passover, I think we need to understand when we talk about the Lamb of God. And so I want to give you just a short overview of what the Passover meant to the people of God. And to those who would have recognized that Jesus is the true Lamb of God. So in Exodus 12, we find the significance of Passover. And understanding this will enrich our view of the Lord's Supper as well as the sacrifice being made on the cross on Good Friday. You see, Passover was established when God rescued His people, Israel, from slavery. After nine plagues did not move or soften the heart of Pharaoh, God Almighty sent one final plague that provoked the king of Egypt to relent temporarily and free the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. This plague that was the death of all the Egyptians' firstborn sons gave the Israelites only a short window in which they would escape. Thus, the meal preceding it had to be something that they could eat in haste. Unleavened bread was essential to the Passover, as the people of God had no time to wait for the dough to rise if they were to get anywhere in freedom. And the blood of the Passover lamb was also a part of the feast, not something that they would drink, but it was something that they would spread on their doorposts, so that the angel of death would come over and pass over their households. In so doing, this marked the Israelites as the people of God saving them from his wrath. And so God elected to save the Israelites, although they were sinful and no less worthy of the Egyptians. But the Lord provided a way for them to escape his wrath in those days in Exodus. And what this Passover lamb looked forward to is the time when the Lord would come and save his people from judgment. You see, in Christ, the Passover Lamb, the Lamb of God, we are saved from the wrath of God by God Himself, who despite despite our sin, mercifully chooses to redeem us. And on the cross, Jesus, the sacrificial Lamb, has made peace between God and us. Has made a way in which this holy and righteous God can look upon us and say, this is my son, this is my daughter. He no longer looks on us and sees our sin, but He sees our union with Christ, and in Christ we are given righteousness, perfection, and all the promises in which Jesus receives as the Son of God. Romans 8 reminds us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that first framework, we have to understand what is going on and why it was significant for Jesus to go to the cross for the people of God to see that he was the true Lamb of God that the Old Testament pointed to. The second thing I want us to see from this passage of why Good Friday is good is because in Christ's sacrifice, we are made clean and we are reconciled back to God. The author, John himself, goes to great lengths in this chapter, as well as in chapter 18, to show that what was going on this week and what was going on on Friday was this day of preparation. I don't know if you guys picked up on it, but he said it in verse 14, verse 31, and verse 42 in chapter 19. He also writes in chapter 18 and verse 28 talking about the Pharisees, when they led Jesus from the house to Caiaphas to the the governor's headquarters in the early morning, they themselves would not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. What I want you guys to see and why this is significant is John is pointing out the sad irony that is happening with the Pharisees in they are worried about cleaning themselves up when the one who could make them clean is right in front of them. How easily can we do this? How often can we try to prepare ourselves or clean ourselves up for God to find us acceptable when Christ has done it on the cross When Christ has made us clean, when Christ has made us worthy, when Christ has given us his righteousness, yet we are so easy to forget and we try to go to God and we try to do things in which we would build ourselves up and think that we could be accepted by God when the cross shows us that it is by Christ's sacrifice that we are accepted. And now for those who have, been, who have been saved, who have trusted in Christ as their Savior, all of the accusations made against us before a living, holy, and righteous God, from the first time we lied, to every act of injustice that we've ever committed, to every time we've lashed out in anger, every sin imaginable that we have committed was laid on Jesus on the cross. And anything that the accuser can bring before God about you and about me trying to show our uncleanliness, Jesus at the right hand of God says, no, I paid for that by my blood. This is my adopted son. This is my adopted daughter. Perfect, spotless, righteous, mine. Mine. In the cross of Christ, all that made you and I enemies towards God was poured out on Him, absorbed by Him, so that you and I no longer live under the wrath of God, but under mercy. That is why we rejoice when we sing about the cross. That is why we rejoice when we hear Paul speaking in Galatians 2.20, 2, where he says, I've been crucified with Christ, that it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is the life we now live because Christ has received the wrath due to us and we have received his righteousness. This is why Good Friday is a good day because the, once, the life we once lived was nailed to the cross. Every sin... Every shame, every rebellious thought, every rebellious deed that you have ever done, the things in your back, the back of your mind that you would say, no, Josh, if you knew what was going on right now, God wouldn't forgive that. He has on the cross. There is no sin that can out-punt the cross of Christ. There is no sin that outweighs what Christ has done on the cross for us, for those who would believe We no no longer have to try to clean ourselves up. We no longer have to try to make ourselves acceptable before God because Christ has made us clean. As we read earlier, though our sin like scarlet, his sacrifice has made us white as snow. What good news, guys. What good news on this Good Friday Right? Oftentimes, we like to think just about Easter, and Easter's good because Jesus is resurrected, and we praise that, and we can overlook Good Friday or maybe be somber and mournful, but we have to see that this Friday is good because all of our sin and shame, rebellious acts, all that kept us apart from having a relationship with God has been nailed to the cross, and we are reconciled to Him. We are given Christ's peace. Where there was one separation, Christ's death has made a way. He has made us worthy. And guys, as I close this evening, if you ever doubt God's love for you, if you ever worry about how God views you, if you ever need a reminder or an encouragement when you're discouraged, look to that beautiful, wonderful, mighty cross where God sent His Son for those who would believe in order that we would be made clean and worthy and righteous and reconciled back to Him. Where the plan of redemption culminates, the joy of the Lord has been poured out, where our sin has been nailed in order that we could be made clean, and not just made clean, but justified before a holy and righteous God. We are made holy and washed by the blood of Christ, and we now receive all the benefits of being a son and daughter of God because our union with Christ That's why I want to rejoice with Paul this evening and read Romans 8 at the end of all that he brings in Romans about our sinful state and how Christ has saved us. This is where he ends. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is it that will condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else, anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from that love if you are united with Christ. Nothing in this world, nothing that you can do This is the love of God for you in Christ. And this is what we celebrate on Good Friday. This is why we call it Good Friday. And this is why we celebrate every single week and every time we gather communion. This symbolic act in which we are reminded of what Christ has done for us on the cross. The shedding of his blood, the breaking of his body, Celebrated in this Last Supper. And as we celebrate it, we're also reminded of what's to come in eternity when we are at the Feast of the Lamb, celebrating all that Christ has done for us and bringing us into the family of God. So, you guys should have some juice and some bread around you. I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we are going to celebrate what Good Friday shows us in. This communion. That Christ died, broke His body, shed His blood for us to be reconciled back to God. I'm going to read Paul's account in 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is what we're celebrating here on Good Friday. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you from the depths of our being for your wondrous grace and love in bearing our sin on that cursed tree. May the cross be to us as the tree that sweetens our bitterness, as the rod that blossoms with life and beauty, as the brazen serpent that calls forth the look of faith. By your cross, crucify our every sin. Use it to increase our intimacy with you. Make it the ground of all our comfort, liveliness, hope, and joy. May the cross be the sum of all your gospel promises, the comfort of all my afflictions, the steadfastness of all our thankfulness, graces, and joys, and the essence of our faith, Lord. And may this cross May this cross lead us to rest without rest, the rest of ceaseless praise for what you have done for sinners like us. Making us clean, making us worthy, reconciling us back to God. Lord, we praise you in Jesus' beautiful and wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At